Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Uh, but we're continuing our series on going through the book of Philippians. We're a little over halfway, uh, go, taking our time to go verse by verse, expositorily, teaching through the letter from Paul written to the church in Philippi. Uh, and Paul was in prison at the time, uh, literally facing a death sentence. And we have the opportunity to hear from him expressing his, his heart and uh, his instructions to the early church. And we are in chapter 3, <clears throat> second half of chapter 3. It says, uh, beginning in verse 12, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. And so what he's referring to that he hadn't yet attained is what he mentioned in the previous verse, that he was seeking to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and being conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Then he goes on as, as saying that he hadn't attained these things, uh, that he was, was still in pursuit of these uh, things that had become the priority of his life. And this term, I press on, means to pursue, to chase after, to seek eagerly. It's a very, very strong verb. It's, it's, a, it's his attitude of pushing forward into the things of God. And, uh, and that was his life. He was describing how he lives his life. And um, I think it's interesting that at his age, he had already attained more than what most of the other disciples had attained. And here he is locked up in a prison cell for his faith, and yet he's saying, I'm pressing on. He's not even close yet. He, he, his, his life, he had, had, had uh, uh, positioned his life, his entire life, to be uh, focused on pushing forward, pursuing, and seeking after. And um, this passage is a clear reference, actually, the whole rest of this chapter. Many times he's referring to different aspects of the Olympic Games, which I think is amazing. We still have the Olympic Games based on the uh, tradition of the Greeks going all the way back. Um, but the Olympic Games, the uh, people who lived in Philippi, mostly Roman soldiers. Do you think they were into the games? Oh, yeah. They were into the games, all right? It was the biggest deal. And so he, uh, in the biggest sporting event, and the, the, I'm sure they were all uh, had their favorite uh, uh, athletes that they were cheering for and their favorite sports, and you know they were into it. And so he's using this image because he knew that it would get their attention. Uh, and so it's a reference to the Olympic Games <clears throat> that they were passionate about. It goes on and says, uh, Paul, in many places uh, throughout the New Testament, uses uh, the race or running a race you know, maybe he was into it because <laughs> he frequently compares his life as a Christian to running a race. Here's a verse in Acts chapter 20, 24. It says, none of these things, these things are the opposition uh, and the 
uh, trials that he had faced. He says, those things don't move me, nor do uh, I count my life dear to myself that I may finish my race with joy. And so Paul saw his life as a race. And the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify of, uh, to the gospel of the grace of God. He saw that his life was a race and he was determined to finish it well. And his, his life was devoted to the ministry, but also devoted to doing it with joy. Remember, Philippians is the epistle of joy. It was mentioned throughout. And, and it's one, uh, you know, we're called to be Christians. We're called to minister the gospel. But like Paul, we're called to do it and represent Jesus in, in joy, that we're calling people into a life of, of joy and grace. <clears throat> so Paul uh, regularly referenced the idea of, uh, this is the, actually how it's found in the, in the Roman uh, uh, walls. It's a, this is a picture of uh, the crowning ceremony of someone who had won a race in, in, in ancient Olympics. And uh, Paul compared his life to running a race, being crowned. Uh, the word perfected actually can be translated crowned. Okay, So he hadn't attained, he had not yet been perfected. And so he says, I haven't gotten the crown yet. I'm still pursuing it. And so the crown in ancient days is, uh, was a, uh, basically just a, a crown of olive leaves from the, uh, an olive tree in a particular part of Greece. And they had uh, wind the branch into a crown and put it on the uh, head of the person who won the race. And there was no second place. It was just only the one who won got the crown, and of course, a crown of uh, olive branch isn't going to last long, but the real reward was the recognition that they had excelled, that they were the best, that they had done the hardest work, and they had uh, uh, run the fastest and finished the, the race. And so that's the idea that Paul was speaking of, and that's an idea that everyone who read this would have been very, very, very familiar with. Uh, this same imagery is used again in Corinthians as Paul is teaching. It says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. He's saying, this is how we need to live as Christians. It's a race. Run like you're gonna, so that you come in first place. Outdo those around you. Uh, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. In other words, they live temperate. They live with self-control. They don't overindulge. Uh, now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable one. That olive branch would last at most a few weeks, months, you know, maybe years as a dry twig uh, that he, they could remember back. But we race for a crown that's imperishable, that will last forever. And therefore, he says, therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. At least when I have preached to others, I myself shall become disqualified. He actually instructs us what this running looked like, and he compared uh, disciplining his daily life with the practice and the training that the athletes do to prepare for that race. 
that he stayed spiritually fit, all right? Uh, and not just physically fit, but there's a level of spiritual fitness that requires uh, daily exercise and training and getting rid of things in your life that slow you down spiritually, that weigh you down, that distract you. You need to get rid of those things. And then you need to strengthen the things that, that, that push you forward, that help you pursue uh, more, uh, more, more passionately and more uh, directly the things that God has called you to. And we, uh, when comparing it to the uh, Olympic racers, the, the toppest tier athletes, uh, we have to compare ourselves to that in a spiritual realm. Paul was not content just to be called. All right? And he was call his calling was pretty intense. Literally got knocked off a horse, right? And... <clears throat> Uh, he came to Christ in a very powerful way, and then he was given a great commission. Go, go be uh, Jesus' representative to the Gentile. Even as Peter is called to the Jew, Paul was sent to the Gentiles, and he traveled the world preaching the gospel. But he wasn't content with that. He realized that the call was a summons to pursue. It's an invitation but you need to respond to the invitation by wholeheartedly pursuing. Our life must be focused on grasping for what Christ has grabbed us for. That's the image. That Jesus laid hold of Paul and that Paul then was pursuing that for which Christ had pursued him. Christ was, uh, Paul was giving his all to accomplish the purpose that God had called him to. And we need to do the same. We need to focus on that and realize, what has God called me to? You know, yes, to be a Christian. Yes, to live in a way that you go to heaven. But that's not all. All right? You have a call. You have a commission. There is a certain group of individuals that only you can reach. Do you believe that? There are people in your life that will not hear about Jesus and the life to come, about forgiveness and the, and the ability to be set free from depression and sin and, and shame and oppression from the enemy unless they hear it and see it from you. How are you doing with that? Are others able to see joy in your life to the point where they want to seek Jesus? because they've seen the freedom in your life. How are you doing with that? Are you pursuing it in a way that's so dedicated that you are excelling, that you're in, in, the, in the front of the race, that people are cheering you on? How are you doing with that? All right, that's how we are to uh, follow Christ. Are we, are we pressing on or are we just hanging on? You know, maybe we haven't given up, but we're really not pushing in. That wasn't good enough for Paul, and I don't think it's good enough for those who are called. If you've really been called by Christ, we want to renew that passion of that call. <clears throat> I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, 
forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Watch these guys. I'm not even into sports. But when I watched this, it brought me to tears. They don't stop to check their phone. Look at that. Yearning forward, every ounce of energy pushing. Even there, right there before the race, they're completely focused on the goal. Ancient Olympians had to run on a particular line just like these have to run within their, within their line. If they stray off course, they become disqualified. You can't stay on course if you're not focused on the finish line. Look at the focus in their, their, their whole bodies are focused on that finish line. Are we running in this way in our pursuit of Jesus Christ and the knowledge of Jesus? Is this an accurate depiction of our spiritual lives? Every morning do we get into the starting blocks and set our mind, our thought, get our whole body and spirit in tune with the single purpose of pressing in to the call that Jesus Christ has called us to. Reaching forward, striving every ounce of energy. Are we living in a way spiritually like these people who've dedicated their lives for this few moments, a few seconds of putting all their energy into the race? We don't race for a crown of olive branches. We don't race for a gold medal or a silver medal or a bronze medal. We race to fulfill the call that Christ has called us to. This is not a race to salvation. Paul was secure in his knowledge that he died, he'd go to heaven. He knew that, he'd already stated that in this, in this book. What's he pursuing? Not salvation. You're saved because of what Jesus already accomplished on the cross if you believe it and committed your life to it. But this is to fulfill the call that God's put on your life to be a representation of Jesus in your world, to convince others that they have the opportunity to be set free from sin and from Satan and the oppression of the world. This is an upward call that we're called to pursue now. This is not about the sweet by and by. 
We're to live every day of our life. Doesn't mean you can't take days off and rest. That's actually an important part of training for anything athletic is rest time, rebuilding, restrengthening, and then getting back in the, to the race, getting back into the fight, doing the hard work day in and day out, the disciplining of your body so that you can be an accurate representation. Colossians chapter three, verse one through three. It says, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In the same way that these athletes have set their eyes on the goal, we need to set our sights on the call that Jesus has called us to and not let anything distract us. You can't run a race like that and look backwards. None of them turn around and say, I wonder where everybody else is in the race. Right? So it's not comparing yourself to others. It's keeping your eye on the finish line and not letting anything get in the way. That's what we're called to as Christ followers. That's what it looks like run a race of faith. You guys, we're going to run after church. We're all going to line up. No. I'd get like, I get two steps into it. Yeah, so the runner says, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> well, it continues on verse 15. It says, therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind that if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. The mindset or the pursuit of the upward call is the definition of spiritual maturity. The mindset, uh, the, uh, the, the, the being convinced and uh, setting your entire life in the pursuit of, of, uh, of the uh, righteousness of Christ, being willing to endure suffering in order to understand and know him better, to uh, pursue the knowledge of Christ so that in every aspect of your life, you know him, you know how he would respond to, to pursue the call and the, the passion of ministry in whatever dimension that means as a business uh, person, by being Christ-like in your business, as a, as a, a um, you know, whether you work in a factory or in a retail setting or in whatever setting, and in that setting, you are demonstrating the character of Christ, and that you're a witness to your coworkers and to the people that you serve in that business in every way. That's spiritual maturity. Maturity is not a plateau that you reach. You can't get to a place where I'm mature. Okay, I can now. I can kind of. I can coast. Were any of those athletes the best in the world? Were they coasting? No, they were pursuing. They were putting everything into it. And every time they race, they have to put everything into it. And so Paul's saying maturity is having this mindset that uh, it, maturity is a level uh, of skill in climbing. The upward call of God in Christ. Well, when does that upward call end? You know? 
the upward call is not, you get to a place where you know the Bible, you know, you've, you're not doing any really bad sins, although all sin is really bad. <laughs> you know, everybody, you have a good reputation, that's nice. But that's not maturity. Maturity is the skill in pursuing and being able to go the next level. It'll take an eternity to get an no, an infinite God. You'll never run out of more of God to get to know. It's the skill level of growing spiritually that defines maturity, not reaching a plateau where you think you're mature. Does that make sense? All right? It's being really skilled and then really skillful at teaching and helping others to make that ascent of the upward call of God in Christ. In every aspect, it says, of our life, we need to pursue the upward call. Nothing is exempt. He says, if in anything you think otherwise, God will God'll convince you of it. In other words, if there's anything in which we're uh, not forgetting the past and, and reaching forward to that which is ahead, now realize good things in the past can take you off track. Yeah. Some people get a place where I just, I just I wish it was like the old days. You know, even not that old of old days. Like, man, I remember those days we'd go to Toronto. It was so fun, man. It was just get blasted in the spirit and roll around on the floor for hours. I still do that from time to time, but, <laughs> you know, those are glorious days. I mean, uh, I've been in uh, conferences where thousands upon thousands of people from all over the world just came without any advertisement. The Holy Spirit would just show up. And, and, and I remember um, <clears throat> I was just talking about this with the group in Mexico. And, uh, I was like, what does it look like for the Holy Spirit to fill a room? And someone said, silence. I'm like, absolutely right. And I remember this time in, in a revival. It was in Florida, and there was it was in the biggest uh, indoor auditorium in the city. They had uh, close to 20,000 people, and they had worshipped intensely. But then just a Holy Spirit moment came, and, and everyone in the place was silent. You could hear a pin drop. And there was a holy awe that filled that place. And no one wanted to disturb the silence because they could sense God. And I was there on the floor in the middle of this giant arena. And this, this, he, the revival is known for physical healing, so there was a lot of people that had healing needs there. And while I was on the floor, I remember seeing people in wheelchairs eating up out of their wheelchair. No one praying for them. Just in the place of the presence of the awesomeness of God, people were getting healed miraculously. Boom, 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 like that. And actually, the rest of the service was just people coming up on the stage and telling a testimony of, of how they were physically healed. Some had been in their uh, wheelchairs for years. That's great. But I don't want to spend my life just thinking about how great it was 20 years ago. Right? So, and bad things from the past can hold you back. We've all experienced horrible trauma in our life. It's the pursuit of, of, of the call, the upward call of Christ 
that pulls us out of that. Yeah, we need to deal with some of that stuff in appropriate ways so that we can run, so that we can pursue, uh, so that we can reach forward. And then if any area of our life that we're not doing that, that means we're immature in that area. And so God wants you to, to, to grow in that area. And it may need counseling, it may need advice, it may need to do some study, it may need to do some focused ex- spiritual exercises to, to improve that area. Why? So you can pursue, so you can press on. Paul says, nevertheless, to the degree that you've already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. All right? And here again is another aspect of maturity. A genuine maturity never breaks unity. Let us walk by the same rule. Let us do this together and be of the same mind. Unity of rule, unity of of mind, understanding that we're in this together. Even though people are in different stages of maturity. One of the things I teach in my leaders' schools that I go and train pastors and missionaries is that to have a healthy spiritual community the weak and the strong have to do life together that uh, strong people in the faith often strong people and weak people they kind of get clickish because <laughs> they're more comfortable around each other but actually integrating people at different levels of maturity is one of the healthiest things that we can do as a church and, and so we need to integrate and understand that unity of the body, regardless of people being at different levels of maturity, is the most effective way to have the entire church and each individual in that church grow. Because we grow together. Unity is the best indicator of the level of maturity we've attained. In other words, it's not about me, it's about us. Right? And we want to do this together as many as are willing to come along with. But we're going. <laughs> we're on a race. All right? So some people are slow, some people are faster, but we're committed to getting better. It's almost like a team sport, all right? where we work together to pursue. <clears throat> Verse 17, brethren, join in, my, uh, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I've told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. So here's the contrast between pursuing the upward call of God in Christ and setting our minds on earthly things. One is the goal that we are to attain to. This is the opposite. This is, this is failure. This actually uh, is something to, uh, is a warning to avoid. And it describes those who have wandered off course. They become distracted to the point of becoming enemies of the cross. Think of that. What does that mean? What an interesting term. Because when Paul wrote this, the Romans were still crucifying people. It's a very vivid image. Enemies of the cross. He didn't say enemies of the church. He didn't say enemies of Jesus. 
didn't say enemies of God. He specifically mentioned they're enemies of the cross. And remember, earlier, he identified some of the false teaching that they, these false teachers were coming in and telling people that they had to go back to fulfilling Jewish rituals as a way to be forgiven of sin. And in another place, he was uh, pursuing uh, things on this earth as a priority. It's like, no, that actually makes you enemies of the cross. In Galatians, uh, Paul talks about himself saying, may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So this is the cross that Paul is talking about. And this is the only thing that he boasts in. That Jesus Christ crucified on the cross. There's nothing else that takes the place. The knowledge of Jesus Christ dying for our sins and coming to the place where you accept his sacrifice, payment for your sin, and that you pledge your allegiance to him. You will follow him regardless of what comes. And and then he says uh, that the world had been crucified to him and him to the world. He's dead to the world because of the cross of Christ. And if we aren't pursuing that upward call, like these people had erred in teaching wrong doctrine and living in in a way that their belly was more uh, important to them uh, than the pursuit of righteousness, They became enemies of the cross, enemies of this message that it's only through Jesus Christ crucified and our dying to self in which we pursue Christ. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 16. He said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What profit if a person gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Think of it. If you get everything on earth, all the riches that you can possibly imagine or whatever it is that you want on this planet. I just want to be peaceful. I want to live out in the woods and have nobody bother me. That's me talking, by the way. I want to live in the woods with air conditioning and, and heat and, and running water and, uh, <laughs> and, and internet, really good internet. <laughs> I want to live in a really nice house looking out into the woods. That would be good. <laughs> uh, uh, what is it that we want more than the things of God? Ah! What if we gain all those things at the price of losing your soul? That's what we don't want. I'll give up all those things. If it means, the pers- I'll give up the comforts of life. Let me tell you, where I go in Mexico, it ain't Cancun. All right? <laughs> it's dirty, filthy. It's poor, and it's dangerous. The murder capital of Mexico, depending on the time of the year. Uh, and so it's a small thing I can do. Uh, what do we, what are, Jesus said, what are, 
What will a person give in exchange for your soul? And so when you choose to do something that you know that God has told you not to do, you're bargaining away part of your soul. Do you really want to do that? When you say no to the things of this world and yes to the things of God, you're investing in your eternal destiny. You're getting to know Jesus better. That's what's on the line, folks. Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. <laughs> citizenship is of heaven. This is actually what they would call a Roman diploma. <laughs> citizenship was a very intense issue in Philippi and the Roman government uh, uh, awarded citizenship <clears throat> to soldiers. Non-Roman uh, men would enlist in the army because if they served their time well in the army and were honorably discharged, they'd be given this. This is an actual copy of one that they dug up out of the ground, archaeological find of someone obtaining inheritance uh, uh, obtaining citizenship, rather, because of their uh, uh, faithful duty in the Roman army. Okay? And if you remember, Paul on point mentions that his, he was a Roman citizenship, and to a soldier, they were about to beat him, and, and he said, is it lawful to, to, to beat a, a Roman citizen without trial? <clears throat> and, the, and the guard says, With, uh, at great cost, I have bought my citizenship. So you could buy citizenship. By the way, did you know you can do that in the United States? Uh, I think it's a half a million dollars or a certain amount of money. Uh, if, you, if you invest into a, a particular ways, you can get a, a citizenship in, 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 in the United States. And most countries have that uh, thing where you can purchase citizenship. Why would they spend so much money or be willing to risk the possibility of death in fighting for Rome? Why? Because citizenship came with rewards, okay, protections and rights. And Paul said, I, I was a citizen by birth. And it made the soldier afraid because he, Paul was more Roman than he was because he had to buy his citizenship. But Paul was born in a, in a, with Roman citizenship, even though he was fully Jewish. He was born in a city that was ruled by Rome. He had Roman uh, citizenship. So citizenship could actually be translated civil rights. And this was actually from a very old... Uh, 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 Greek dictionary, and so it wasn't like someone trying to make the Bible talk about civil rights. It's just, that's what it means. It means the rights of being in a certain civil uh, society, and it refers to both the rights and the responsibilities that come uh, by being a citizen of a particular country. And citizenship, and you know, how do we deal with immigrants? <clears throat> it's a big deal right now. You can see it down where I was in Mexico. It's City is filled with people trying to get in. They come from all over the world. They get right to the border, and then there's this, like, they're really strict. Uh, and every day they're plucking people out of the river. I mean, the river's not very wide. In some places, it's, you know, barely wider than the, this room. You throw a baseball across it. You know? And so people are desperate to get into our country. And, uh, uh, 
And, and what are the rights? What does it mean to be a, a citizen of the United States? What are the responsibilities of citizenship? Who, who should be allowed? It's kind of a big deal. There's a lot of arguments about it. What well, was a big deal then, too, in, in the Roman Empire? Uh, and so citizenship is something important. And again, Paul is using this, God uses this in Scripture to get us thinking about our heavenly citizenship. As Christ followers, our heavenly citizenship should be primary. Maintaining and practicing the rights and responsibility of our heavenly citizenship and tirelessly working as an ambassador to bring other people into relationship with Jesus Christ and into the kingdom. And I'm, I'm, I, I, I think it's a sad commentary on the church when so many of the church are, are sidetracked into the lesser citizenship of being part of a particular nation to the point where it usurps the character traits that God calls us to live by. Are you hearing me? I, be, I, I love this country. I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful that I was, had the privilege to be, happen to be born in this nation and to have such an abundance and such freedom. And we need to defend that. But listen, uh, there's nothing American that can take a higher level of importance than following the, the, the character calling and the pursuit that Jesus has called us to. Are you hearing me? Don't get the two confused. All right? Keep them in their right place. That's what he's talking about to the Philippians. Don't be too Roman that you lose your Christianity. And that applies to us as well in our day. If we set our sights, our goals, our aspirations, mainly on this level, this, this existence, this, this level of citizenship, we may inadvertently miss our heavenly one. Because he's saying the people in the passage before that he's referring to had become enemies of the cross because they'd set their sights on the wrong goal. Hebrews, the, the chapter that talks about all the heroes of the faith, said they died in faith without receiving the promise, having seen uh, them and having welcomed them from a distance, having confessed that they were strangers and exiles here on earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own, and indeed if they had been thinking of that country from which they came out of, in other words, their natural country, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired, they being all the heroes of faith, you can read about in the first half of the chapter of chapter 11 of Hebrews, they desired a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We are to live that way with our eyes set on our heavenly city the city of God that we're called to. A commentator uh, from the 1700s wrote it this way. We have a heavenly city. We have rights and privileges which are heavenly and eternal. Our society is with God the Father, Son, and Spirit, and the spirits of just men made perfect. The whole church of the firstborn. We've crucified the flesh, the things that are concerning this world with its affections and lusts, and regard not our body which must perish, our lowly body, but which we confidently expect to be raised from the dead 
uh, death and corruption into the state of immortal glory upon Christ's return. Our hope can never be realized in this lifetime. This body, yeah, discipline it, exercise is good, diet is good, I'm working on that, pray for me. (laughs) You know, I'm going to make this body last as long as I can, I'm going to enjoy it while I can. But this is not my ultimate pursuit. I pursue the things of Christ, and I'm looking for the resurrection. Our hope is in the resurrection, that he will come with a trumpet sound and a shout. And we'll be raised up, and our, these lowly bodies will be conformed to his glorious body. I hope that you're in the place where Jesus Christ is your Lord, that you're willing to sacrifice anything in this life to pursue the upward call of God in Christ. And if you're here and you haven't, or you, if you've had at some point, but you're not living it, you could renew that call simply by saying in your heart, I believe you, Jesus. I'm, I repent. In other words, I renounce the things of this world that, that distract me and I commit myself to the pursuit of righteousness and your kingdom with my whole heart. Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org.